0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
1: Sunny days wouldn't be special if it wasn't for rain. Joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain. 50 Cent.
2: This next listed water source that was on the map, but it was listed as always dry, like there's never going to be water there but i at least wanted to go investigate because i was so dehydrated i actually thought i might run into problems soon so i went to go check it out it was an old well um like an old cattle tank and as i was walking up to it um you know ground looks totally normal you know all just dirt I take I take a couple steps to get close to it, and when I get like two steps away, I just sink down up to my knees in like this brown, black, liquefied old cow crap that just like hardened all around the water tank, and it's just covering me up to my knees now, and I'm also kind of sinking in it, so I'm a little bit worried I might drown, you know, in this cow, in this liquid cow crap that's around this cattle tank.
1: I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Pod. the John Freakin' Muir
0: Pod, lace up those boots, and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck.
1: Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags, and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest, a repeat guest who was last on the podcast about a year ago. Yes, today we are catching up with calendar year triple crowner, Brandon Wise. Welcome back to the pod, Brandon. How's it going?
2: I'm doing good. How about you?
1: Fantastic. Fantastic. I'm excited to talk to you. You know, I just, I just recorded an episode last week and it came out on Monday, uh, which is yesterday as, as we, you and I are talking with the four guys who completed the calendar year triple crown this year, this past year. Mm-hmm.
2: I actually just won that one today when I was out on a run. <laughs> did you? Good. Good. Yeah. What'd you think? That was good. It was super informative. And I mean, it was tough when you get that many people together to try to get a kind of a cohesive unit and co- like a, well-run organization, but you did a good job. You kept him in line. So props uh, thank to you. you. <laughs> yeah. And
1: for a little bit of insight and comedic relief, I also had Jeff Garmeyer on there who has, he knows a, a thing or two about the calendar year, triple crown, and he's just a, a, a hilarious dude. So.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He, he knows a little bit and he's hilarious. So yeah, he was great on there too. <laughs> yeah.
1: So I, uh, you know, in that episode, we went by trail names, right? And so uh, you and I, we've talked about your trail name before but why don't you, for our new listeners out there who maybe haven't heard your episode, share with us your trail name and how you came
2: by that. Sure. So it uh, goes back to my first ever backpacking trip, not even through hike. Um, it's a backpacking trip through Ohio State back in 2018, uh, actually in the High Sierra in California. And it was a trip to the university. So we had a bunch of extra gear that I would never bring nowadays, like extra you know, heavy cooking equipment, extra safety equipment, just so much extra stuff. And I was the largest one there, so I was figured I should carry the most gear. You know, it's my responsibility. So, my pack was probably around sixty or seventy pounds every day. And I was a pretty strong hiker. And one day we were going up this hill, and everybody was struggling along, and I was struggling uh, in my own way. And another guy just trying to hype everybody up started yelling at everybody, trying to you know get the crowd going. And he's like, "Let's go! You got it! Your horsepower! Your raw horsepower!" And I was just like yeah. And then it guy just kind of stuck after that, you know?
1: Nice. So from here on out, it's not going to be Brandon. It's not going to be Mr. Wise. It's going to be horsepower. Sounds good to me. Okay. All right. Now, have you listened other than the episode on Monday, have you listened to some, some other recent episodes?
2: A few people, um, that I either, I know of or are kind of friends with I I listened to uh, a ball sacks a while back, um, uh, which I was a good funny one. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember the other ones. Okay.
1: But I just want to make sure that you're familiar with, um, some of our regular segments. We do have one towards the end called the pro tip inside of the week. That's where I'll turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. And I know you're you're just chock full of them. So make sure you save one for the end. Of course. (laughs) Okay. And as we're talking tonight, uh, you're calling in from the East coast, which right now it's, it's hiker midnight for you.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's nine Oh eight here. Um, you know, just doing, putting in my work for the John Freak Muir Pod. Nice.
1: We we appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. The Must Bring Gear Review. Hey, Horsepower, another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And I think you probably you went through this with me last time, but uh, let's see if anything's changed since the last time we talked. Uh, here's how it works. If you were let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, Horsepower, what do you what do you have to have out there?
2: Yeah, I remember last time I just gave the boring answer of my favorite pair of shoes, and I'll give an equally boring answer this time of just uh, any pair of trekking poles. Um, It really doesn't matter. They're all pretty much the same. But I had a couple times this year where I broke my trekking poles or just didn't have some for extended periods of time. And it was such a pain in the butt. Um, I know some people choose to hike without them, but I, I find that psychotic. Um, they help me out so much from moving faster to not falling down. And plus, I love uh, mostly in the summertime, not so in the winter when it's colder, but I love having a trekking pole tent. So uh, you'll you'll never catch me without trekking poles by choice. And I've just had a couple of times this year where I broke them in like some steep declines, and it was just so much more challenging without them.
1: Yeah, if you are a new listener to the podcast or a, a newbie hiker considering getting out there and, and doing some fun stuff, and you're you're concerned about trekking poles, you're concerned about how you, how you might look, uh, maybe you don't know how to use them quite right, and people are gonna think you're you're funny looking out there. I mean, what what do you what do you say to that horsepower?
2: Well, if you're concerned about how you look, you might not want to go out hiking in the first place. Um, just yeah, everybody looks dumb, so you might as well use them and make yourself more comfortable, make yourself feel better while hiking.
1: Yeah, what's the value of the trekking pole? Other than using it if you have a trekking pole tent, but what what is the value of the trekking poles out on the trail?
2: Well, I find on inclines, they help me leverage going up so much more where I can feel like I can put a little less weight on my legs constantly and a little more on my shoulders and triceps. So use those to get a little more um, force going uphill. And on flats, I just feel like they increase my stride length so you can just move faster. And then the biggest thing is definitely on the downhill, which they've saved me from falling probably, I don't know, depending on the conditions, multiple times per day. And they break a lot when I put too much pressure on them sometimes going downhill, but that's just the cost of doing business. Mm -hmm.
1: Now you've been a very busy guy this year, this past year with uh, all kinds of different hikes. I know, I think we talked about possibly breaking this episode up into maybe two episodes, one episode now, one episode, a little bit later, just to cover everything that you've done. Um, How has your gear evolved since the last time we talked what are you, what are you taking out there for the big three, uh, any other things you want to share from your pack?
2: Yeah, it's pretty much the same. Um, I don't know. I don't like to do a ton of gear research, and then just new stuff costs money. So if it ain't broke, I don't like to fix it. Uh, so my big three, I'm still using um, essentially the two same packs. Um, I got some gear, Mariposa 60 for heavier loads, which I had to use for most of this year when I was doing on either more remote trails with longer food carries or just, um like the hay Trail at the end of the year when it was colder and I had more cold weather stuff. Um, and I used the Kumo a little bit this year on my first like 600 miles. But then once I moved to the Oregon Desert Trail, that was way too small. So I had to go back to the Mariposa, um, which is probably my favorite pack for carrying uh, heavy food, long food carries or just heavy equipment or heavy gear. And then uh, still with the Gossamer Gear 1 tent, um, my mine finally wore down after about, I think it was 7,000 miles. So I had to buy a new one. Um, but not bought a new model of the exact same one. Um, that's still treating me well. I love that thing. And then, um, wait, what's the third thing of the big three? you Got backpack, tent,
1: sleeping bag, or
2: a uh... oh, sleeping bag. Yeah, I did actually switch to a quilt this year. Okay, which was a big step. Uh, I liked it a lot, though. It just cut down on weight, and honestly, my old sleeping bag was such a piece of garbage that this quilt was actually warmer. And it weighed so much less. Is, I, I loved it so much. I don't even think until the end of the year on the Hayduke Trail, I don't think I actually I clipped it in like you were supposed to. I would just use it as a blanket every night because it was so warm and no matter how cold it was, really.
1: Yeah. What was the, the make and model of the quilt?
2: It was a Catabatic Flex 22.
1: Okay. A Catabatic. Yeah. I don't, I don't cheap, hear about that. I, but about I mean, that I one. wanted to spend money yeah. where it was going to count. Nice. All right. And I can't believe this—that you know of your list of of experiences this past year, we've we've broken them up into two episodes, and I have to wait until the next episode to talk to you about the hey Duke, because that is one crazy trail.
2: Yeah, I'm not even sure I'm ready to talk about that one yet. They might take another couple months to decompress after that. It was. It was an experience. That's all I can say for now.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, that that, that wets my appetite. And I, I'm sure it's it what's the appetite of our listeners to know that we're going to come back and it, it's going to take you a, a little bit of time to recover uh, <laughs> in all facets to be able to talk about the hey Duke. So we'll, we'll look forward to that. Absolutely. Okay.
0: It's the hiking pole.
1: It's the hiking pole and that's P-O-L-L. Not POLE, it's not like the things you carry in your hands, but it's a seven question survey.
2: I love that so, joke, never gets old,
1: never gets old. That's right, <laughs> that's right. Um, this is going to help give me, give, help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to 100. Um, just to let you know that anybody that's hiked an American long trail like the PCT, the CDT, or the AT, it's an automatic 25 point deduction. And heck, if you've done all three in the same year, I'm I'm thinking it's like a 40-point deduction. So your your highest possible mm-hmm. score is a 60 at this point, horsepower.
2: That sounds reasonable, but I'll give it my best shot.
1: Okay. Now, you know, you've gone through the hiking poll before, and I I asked you some hiking-related questions. Uh, because you've been through that experience, uh, we're gonna change it up a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna pull from a different set of questions. These the, this set of questions is really the the big issues facing our society today. I mean, in fact, you could, you could spend an entire uh, podcast series on on one of these questions, maybe, maybe just an episode uh, on on some of these. So um, are you nervous? You haven't seen these. You you, you don't know what these, you don't, you don't know what's coming.
2: Well, there's nothing more I like doing than handling tough questions in a rapid fire succession. So let's do this.
1: Perfect. Don't forget <laughs> to give me a little bit of explanation with your answer to help me judge accordingly.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure All right. Thing.
1: We'll start off. We'll start off easy. Horsepower. Do you, do you sleep with your socks
2: on? No,
1: not in any scenario.
2: Never. I mean, I know some people do when they're hiking, but I, I like I have like such poor feet. Like they're always in horrible shape when I'm hiking shape, when I'm hiking that I need them to air out at least eight hours a night when I'm sleeping. So I'm fortunate enough where they don't really ever feel cold for me. Like I hear from some other people and then at home, especially not. Um, But yeah, I just, I, I love having them air out while I'm hiking at night when I'm not walking. Yeah,
1: I think it's a big warning sign if someone is, is sleeping with socks on. I mean, that that really kind of clues you into their their personality. I'd start to worry if, you, if you're around people that are sleeping in their socks.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you can trust them.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get some emails on that, I guarantee it. <laughs> All right, question number two. Does pineapple belong on pizza?
2: No. Now, if you want to feel... Um, exotic and get like a Hawaiian pizza every once in a while. That's okay. But for the most part, no, not really. (laughs) And why is that? Well, for me, I just don't really like it much, but (laughs) if somebody else likes it, go good for them. Go for it. I prefer not. not,
1: Do you, do you not like pineapple or you don't like pineapple on pizza?
2: I like it. I would just prefer it not be on there.
1: Okay. Question number three, do you roll your toilet paper over or under?
2: Over or wait. Yeah. Over. Yeah.
1: Over. He, he, for those of you listening in, you missed, you missed the part where he's actually visualizing. I to visualize
2: myself. Yeah. He's,
1: he's reaching down by his side, (laughs) uh, imagining the, the toilet paper roll being right there to work out that answer. Oh, I was kind
2: of disappointed, though. It took me a second to think about that because that's something I believe strongly, and I get upset when it's not my way.
1: I was wondering what that meant that that you you had to think about a little bit. So I was thinking, well, maybe it isn't important to him, but you you <laughs> were saying that it is. It's a big issue.
2: It does matter, yeah.
1: And, and why do you why do you hold that so so dear to your heart?
2: Well, if it's under, then it gets pushed up against the wall, and it's kind of more 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 of a pain to rip off and get out. So. You know, I like things to be easier. You don't need to make them harder than they have to be.
1: That's right. Be, be efficient with your time. Don't don't be sitting on the can trying to find where the toilet paper starts. I mean, it should be right there.
2: It should be apparent. Exactly. Okay. okay.
1: Question number four, horsepower, cats or dogs?
2: Uh, Dogs. Although Man. I will say we'll probably get into it some of these trails. I had my problems with dogs this year. I never really had any problems with cats, but – Probably still dogs at the end of the day.
1: Okay. And a corollary to that question doesn't count in the poll, but uh, big dogs or little
2: dogs? Oh, big dogs for sure. I only respect a dog if it has the ability to kill me. So definitely big dogs.
1: (laughs) You know, the rule in this house is you can't get a dog that has poop that's bigger than yours. Mm,
2: I don't know if I like that rule.
1: (laughs) That's a solid rule, horsepower. Yeah. I'm going to mark you down for disagreeing with me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> all right question number what do we got five do you enjoy netflix or youtube better
2: netflix all day i'm a huge movie and tv guy um i don't really go to go much into youtube or vlogs or i don't know what else things on there mm. much
1: yeah. YouTube is kind of like a, how to do it kind of, kind of deal. You, you have a question about how to do something, look it up on YouTube. I mean, from Absolutely. changing, changing oil in your car to e- even setting up a tent, right? I mean, you could find it all yeah. <laughs> on YouTube, but you know, you're an expert, you're a calendar, you're a triple crowner. There, there's not a, there's not a whole lot that, that you need to, to read up on. I mean, you, you've got the skill set.
2: Yeah. And like, you know, something like that, I'd rather just, you know, make the mistake myself and learn, learn that way, you know, than having to Watch a video and, you know, learn that way. But I'm I've done that too. So I don't know. It's all it's all it's all good. It's all it's all fun when it when you need it. That's right. As
1: as my my friend and other podcast podcast host, another backpacking podcast host, uh, Jeremiah Stringer says, "You you win or you learn."
2: That's a good win motto. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yep. All right. And on Netflix, what what are some of the best? Shows that you've been keeping track of, either TV series or or movies. What well,
2: number you? one for sure lately is Better Call Saul. I finished that up a while ago, and that's got to be the second best show I've ever seen. So everybody got to watch Better Call Saul. It's so good.
1: Okay, you you just gained some points back because that that <laughs> exactly jives with my opinion. Better Call Saul, one of the best shows on TV. I love uh, to hear it. You know, it's an offshoot <laughs> from Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad very difficult to to follow. I mean. Breaking Bad and, and a lot of people's Estimation is the best TV series ever Made mm-hmm. and so then when they say They're to do a spinoff and it's with this Kind of wacky attorney Kind of kind of shady attorney You're thinking well how's that going to work
2: It's going to be goofy that's going to be dumb Exactly but they exactly. made it into one of the best dramas And character narratives of all time It's crazy it just
1: got better and Better and better each season it was So good so mm-hmm.
2: good And I'll say it, I'll, I'll put my I'll put my name out There I don't care I'll say it. It's better than Breaking Bad.
1: Ooh. Again, <laughs> you and I are in agreement. Now you oh, said I better, love it.
2: You said Better Call Saul was your
1: second favorite mm-hmm. of all time. What, what is your first?
2: For me, it's Mad Men, I don't, and I don't think it'll ever be passed. I love it so much.
1: So good. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so in my top five, I think I'd have to have uh, Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, Mad Men, um, Sopranos, mm-hmm. and... The wire may be at number five, but it was it was just so huge and s- there were so many characters and storylines over the seasons. It was tough to keep track of. But again, that it was it was really good TV.
2: Yeah, I'm definitely in the minority where I, I didn't like the wire very much. I, I know I've uh am not normal in that account.
1: Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones?
2: Oh, loved it. Yep. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that's up there too. The end. That's good.
2: Yeah. Yep.
1: Okay. <laughs> All right, I think we, I think we we really got to the heart of that question. So I'm, I'm absolutely. Satisfied. Okay. <laughs> uh, horsepower, number six, uh, what would be your most useful skill in a zombie apocalypse?
2: Hmm. I think probably similar to through hiking. It's probably my ability to binge eat, you know, zombie apocalypse is going on. You run to a grocery store, you run into a restaurant. I can get down 6,000 calories and 10, 20 minutes, you know, then I'm good for another couple days, you know, go repeat, do that again somewhere else. So that's probably, that's probably it for me.
1: That's like a, a superpower being able to yeah. binge eat. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's good for you, but that's not so good for the rest of your party that you're, you're out there against the zombies with.
2: Yeah. Sorry. That's kind of their own problem.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number seven, finish on this one. Is cereal
2: a soup? No, I don't think so. It's not a strong opinion, but I don't think so.
1: What's your thought process there?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's just something in a bowl of milk. I don't really really consider milk to be a soupy liquid. I don't really know what the definition of a soup is at the end of the day, but I don't think cereal is it.
1: Soupy liquid. I've I've never heard those two words together. That's uh, <laughs> that's good. What 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 is your definition of a of a soupy liquid?
2: Uh, I guess chicken broth would be a soupy liquid. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I'll, I'll have to ponder on that for a while. Okay. All right.
1: Well, those are the seven questions. I got to do some math now. I got I got to take your answers and put them through the John freaking meerpot mm-hmm. algorithm. Uh, let's see, stand by. I got to carry the three. Got to divide by pi mm-hmm. and multiply by root three. This is really complex.
2: Multiply is this sponsored three. by IBM?
1: Yes, that's right. That's, right. <laughs> that's our newest sponsor. And uh, let's let's adjust for the number of cans of actual soup that horsepower can binge eat at a single setting. And I come up with a score of 47. 47. Now, if you consider the fact that you lost 40 points right off the bat, I mean that's hmm. that's a pretty impressive score.
2: That is. I f- I feel like it's mostly carried by my better call Saul answer which I'm okay with.
1: Yes, <laughs> you you're absolutely correct. You you're dipping down into the 20s and then all of a sudden you <laughs> you rocketed back up uh in the discussion mm-hmm. of Netflix. So, well done, sir. Okay. Hey, let's uh before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Uh, just remind everybody kind of your background, where you grew up and how you got involved in through Hiking.
2: Yeah, so I'm from uh, Northwest Ohio, a small town. So there's not much outdoor recreation around here. So I never really did camping, backpacking, anything outdoors until I signed up uh, my sophomore year of college at Ohio State for a trip through the Outdoor Adventure Center there. And it was a month long backpacking trip in the High Sierra. And long story short, I fell in love with it there. Um, I On that trip, I learned about the Appalachian, tri- Appalachian Trail and Pacific Crest Trail. And still thought that was ridiculous. Like nobody could ever do that. That's so stupid. Um, And then three years later, I found myself doing the calendar year triple crown. And then I thought when I got home from that, that I would be done for a while. I was pretty burnt out. And then four months later, I found myself on the Benton Mackay trail, ready to do another six or eight months or something of hiking that I just finished up this year, about a month ago. Okay.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, as as you are talking to me tonight, th- those folks who are listening and they can't see your background, uh, I'm looking at what's behind you, um, at the ceiling. I can see the camera's kind of pointed up towards mm-hmm. you, and I can see that in the background the ceiling, which looks like a a drop ceiling, like acoustic tile. Uh, very, it looks like a commercial setting. Are you calling in from your home? Or are you are you at a, a place of business? Where are you right now?
2: No, yeah, I'm I'm home back back home, um, in my basement. But yeah, it's. Pretty nice you know it's kind of an ominous background with the with the darkness back there and i just realized yeah. that i kind of like that
1: <laughs> it's like you're calling in from a cave yeah <laughs> okay now how did you go from from uh you know becoming interested in in through hiking to making the big jump it's a big jump to do the calendar year triple crown i mean that is that's that's a huge um uh, impressive accomplishment
2: yeah so originally Like after that first trip through Ohio State, I kind of, you know, started doing some more smaller trips, weekend stuff, and small section hikes on the Appalachian Trail, and then eventually decided I wanted to do all the Triple Crown Trails, so I was going to do like one each summer starting in 2020. I was supposed to do the PCT, but then had to cancel that with the pandemic going on, so then through a series of other decisions, maybe poor, maybe good, I decided that I would go for the calendar year triple crown in 2020, uh, 2021. And yeah, I don't know. I didn't really look back. Once I committed to that, didn't really look back or even consider not, not finishing it or not going for it. And then we started. See January 13th at Springer mountain. And the rest is history after that.
1: You started January 13th. When did you finish?
2: Uh, October 25th. I want to say that could be wrong, but somewhere around there. And then like two days later started the Arizona trail. Cause I told myself I was going to try to go for 10,000 miles in a year, which basically I did the Arizona trail and then uh, gave up on my first day on the Buckeye trail back in Ohio. Cause it was so cold and miserable and wet and windy. And I was questioning why I ever thought that was a good idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. And in terms of sequencing the calendar, year triple crown, did you do, uh, um, all one direction for each path? Or did you, did you have to flip-flop?
2: Yeah, I flip-flopped. I was hoping to do them all in one direction just for the simplicity, but ended up flip-flopping when I got to Vermont by mid-March and the snow was just still insane up there. So um, basically did Springer to Vermont and then uh, New Mexico and a little bit of Colorado on the CDT, then the whole PCT and then the rest of the CDT from the Canadian border down to Southern Colorado and then the rest of the AT.
1: Yeah. It was, it was really interesting to hear the, the uh, strategies of the guys, uh, the four guys that did the calendar year triple crown last year, you know, all of them are very different. I think one one of the four uh, was hiking the AT and decided on the AT that he was going to, he was going to do the calendar year triple crown. Just.
2: Yeah. That was one of the craziest things I've ever heard. Yeah. That is is (laughs) wild. Right. Yeah. just on the fly. He had to go adjust his visa and figure out even if he could do it. And that was just insane props to him. Yeah.
1: And then professor, you know, he had set out on January 1st, he, his, his goal was to kind of break the unofficial record for most most mm-hmm. uh, miles hiked in a year. And he, he fell short of that. And I, I feel bad for him because I think in his mind, uh, he, he thinks that he, he failed and that here's the guy who out of, out of the four guys, I mean, he, he hiked the furthest he did. He went from Key yeah. West to, to Canada on the, on the AT, And, um, and then did the other two as well. I mean, so, you know, he he set this go- really, really lofty goal for himself and uh, he didn't achieve that goal, but he achieved something, you know, almost as, as astonishing.
2: Yeah. He's an absolute madman. And um, I don't know, he, he was having so much fun along the way. I truly don't think he regrets it. But uh, fortunately I actually ran into him when I was on the PNT and, like when he was three miles from finishing the PCT, the PNT and PCT cross for a little bit. And I ran into him on that short stretch. And it was really cool seeing him super excited to finish the PCT and keep going the rest of the year. Like just seeing his energy from how excited he was made me want to go harder the next few days. It was really cool.
1: Yeah, let me tell you a little something about Professor. You know, I picked him up in in Acton uh, when he was he was finishing up. And I took him out to dinner. I took him to a Mexican restaurant out in Agua Dulce. And as he ordered, he ordered the, like, I'm going to call it the fiesta platter. It had some of everything on it,
2: right? Mm -hmm. Usually, probably probably for a whole family.
1: Yeah. Usually you share it, right? Yeah. there's, There's quite a few different quesadillas and flautas and taquitos and all kinds of great stuff on there. And he proceeded to mow through that entire plate. There was nothing left on that plate. I was wondering if he's going to pick it up and lick it. I mean, he he really (laughs) went to town on it and he did so in a very steady, slow, methodical manner. I mean, I polished off my big old burrito Mm -hmm. and uh, he had just, you know, he he was maybe a third of the way through his plate. So I I, I sat and watched him the rest of the time as he just kept going and going and going. And it's, I, I think it goes to his philosophy. I mean, you don't have to be the fastest out there. You just have to make steady progress. All day mm-hmm.
2: long. Yep. That's all it takes. So
1: all right. Uh so you spent about eight months on the trail this year, you said?
2: Uh, I can't remember. Honestly, it was so April till November. That's probably about seven, eight, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so how do you how do you finance your adventures? Because you know, it takes money to be on the trail. I mean, it, it maybe less money than, than paying uh, you know, rent on a house. But uh, mm-hmm. you, you're paying for food and you're paying for gear. And, and um, so what, what do you do in the off season to accumulate your your trip money?
2: Yeah, so this one, this trip was kind of unexpected. Like I said, when I got home last year for my trip, I thought I would be done for a while. I was burnt out and obviously low on money after living on trail for a year. So I started when I got home, I started writing a book about it. Um, but then as a part time job, I just started bartending and serving at a local restaurant. I thought I was only going to do like 15, maybe 20 hours a week, but it was so short staffed that I ended up doing more like 40 or 50 hours a week. But while that was more work than I was hoping to do. And I got a little less work on my book than I wanted to do. Um, I made a lot of money doing it and thanks to all the wonderful people that tip well. And it was a great, great time, great job. I loved doing it and made a lot better money than I expected doing it. Even in only being home for four months, I, uh, after a couple of weeks of doing that, I kind of realized the rate I was saving at and thought to myself, well, I'm not, I am not on a lease next year. I'm not paying rent anywhere next summer. I might as well go do something while I have more freedom before I get you know, locked into a lease where I'm paying rent for 12 months and can't get out of it. So after a few weeks, kind of decided like if I can save up a good chunk of money, I'll do something again this year. And the opportunity came to leave in April. And that's kind of how this year came to be.
1: Okay. Now, when you're bartending, I mean, are you so busy back there that it's really just taking orders, mixing drinks, and 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 uh, you know, taking care of the bills? Or do you have a chance to, you know, engage in some conversation with the customers?
2: I'd say it's a little both. Um, it just depends on the time and night, honestly. Like, you know, Friday and Saturday nights from 7 to 9 or 10 would be crazy. Probably no time to talk or even say hi to people. But, you know, it gets to be, you know, 12... 12.31, you know, the last people at the bar are sitting around. They want to talk. They want to, they want to just talk to the bartender. And it was nice having like a thru-hike in the back pocket because they start asking you about yourself. It takes about maybe three to four questions before you bring, before somehow you have to bring up the fact that you did a thru-hike. And then they just ask about 20 more questions about it because they're so amazed. And then they're so amazed they tip really well and say, have fun on the next adventure. So it was a pretty good gig.
1: That's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask, does the does the hike ever come up? I mean, how long before you whip out the calendar year triple crown? I mean, that's got to be, that's got to be a real conversation starter.
2: Yeah, it was always an easy go to. I liked having it.
1: <laughs> and you know, there I think the best stories uh, come from the trail, but the second best stories come from bars. Do you have any any good bar stories? Any any like ridiculous things that have happened in a bar?
2: Mm, nothing too crazy. Um, I was only there for four months, so I don't know, maybe if I stayed longer, I would have seen more crazy stuff, but nothing, nothing too ridiculous other than, uh, chef quitting in the middle of, uh, one Friday night when there was uh, like the whole place was packed. So we had to like go find someone else to come in and work. So that was kind of fun. But other than that, nothing, nothing too crazy,
1: nothing too crazy. All right. All right. And tell me about the book. Is this, you know, I know that, uh, Jeff Garmeyer, He wrote his book about the calendar Triple Crown. Is this a similar type of memoir or do you have a different angle on it?
2: Uh, It'll probably be pretty similar. Honestly, I read his before I went on the calendar Triple Crown, but then I wanted to make sure I didn't read it like after the fact or recently because I don't want to have like his book in the back of my head at all when I'm writing. So I hope it's different, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but we'll see. Yeah, it's um, pretty much a day-to-day account um, of the thru-hike, you know, with some you know, thoughts of what I was going, what was going on in my head at the time, like how I thought I was on pace, if I was falling behind, how I was feeling physically at the time. So just all those kind of things uh, that go on during a through hike. But however, through hike lasted a full year and, you know, was through four uh, long distance trails in America. Um, it's been going good, but honestly, it's harder than I thought it would be. You know, I had all these journal entries. I was like, oh, it'll be easy. You know, pretty much just write those down. It's all, all there pretty much already, but it's been a lot more work than I expected. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I can barely remember what I had for lunch today. But um, in terms of trying to recall how I was feeling or what kind of mileage I had on the first leg of the calendar triple <laughs> crown uh, on this day in this month, I mean, I, you, so you obviously took extensive notes and did some journaling when you were out there.
2: Yeah, so I journaled every day and would, like every night before I went to bed. And I would usually try to write down notes throughout the day of like how I was feeling at the time. And I know some people do like video journals where it, it would probably be easier to express your emotions that way. Um, but I, I just can't talk to my phone in a video. I feel like a dork doing so. So I wish I could do that. It would make it easier. But honestly, the biggest help that I didn't expect is just timestamps on pictures I took. It's so helpful knowing like the exact day and exact time where I was at this spot. And I'll, I remember the spot. I remember the view. So the timestamp on the pictures is a huge help. Yeah,
1: it's a good point. Good point. All right. Hey, we're gonna hear from uh, hear a word from our sponsors, and uh, during the break, I'm gonna get, just give you the preview that we're gonna be talking about the BMT, the PT, the ODT, and the BFT when we come back. And I want you to think about what those might be as uh, as you listen to our sponsors. We'll be right back. <laughs> Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at JollyGear.com. hiker owned Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? And welcome back. We're talking to Brandon Wise, aka Horsepower. And when I left our listeners at the break there, I told them to think about what the BMT, the PT, the ODT, and the BFT, what those might be. I'm sure they've got it all figured out. They hit the pause button, they went to Google, they looked it up. Uh, but, you know, beware, there's a lot of different trails with, with those same initials.
2: As hey, I you know, sometimes out. podcast hosts might not even know the right ones. That's correct. That's
1: correct. <laughs> I had to double check with with horsepower what exactly we're going to be talking about tonight because I had them all wrong. So <laughs> let, let's start with the BMT. What, what? It sounds like a sandwich, actually. But uh, that, what, that what was, that's
2: it. all I thought every time I said it too. <laughs> <laughs> well, the the BMT is the Benton Mackay Trail, named after the guy that uh, started the work on the Appalachian Trail. I think. I could be wrong on this, but I think most of the BMT is the actual original route he wanted the AT to be, but most of it was changed, and in my opinion, uh, for the better, because in my opinion, the BMT was not very fun. Uh, I seriously remember three views the whole time, but it was cool to be, to be back in uh, the woods of Appalachia and the mountains in the south. So that was where I started um, April 13th, I want to say, and it starts... Uh, I probably should have done more research on this stuff before I hopped on. But it starts, I think, at the northern boundary of Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And yeah, it definitely does because the first hundred or so miles are in the park, which is kind of a pain because you got to get permits for camping every night. And then the rest of it um, is out of the park, but it's in Tennessee, North Carolina, and then ends in Georgia and actually ends on Springer Mountain with the uh, where the Appalachian Trail starts, which is pretty cool.
1: Okay, one I, I want to put you at ease. There's only about five of my listeners that are really listening for facts and mm-hmm. are are, are going to send me some nasty emails <laughs> that uh, you're totally wrong on this. Yeah. Uh, the rest of the the rest of the listeners, the rest of the multitude, uh, is is just listening for for good witty conversation and good stories. Mm-hmm. So you know, say it with confidence, and you know, you let those <laughs> five people do what they have to do, and and the rest of everybody else, they could just enjoy it and, and have a good time. So. Uh, the BMT is about three hundred miles. It's in Appalachia, mm-hmm. uh, ends at Springer Mountain. Yep. Okay. And it, when you said it. It was when they. It was the original, maybe the original idea he had for the for the AT. But you you think that the AT is 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 much improved. Um, what yeah. was not so fun about the BMT?
2: Honestly, I think of all the trails I've hiked, it might be the worst. In the and like the ratio from w- like work to reward, it was so much work. Like I would say, even harder uh, than the southern portion of the AT, just constantly up and down on rocky and Rudy terrain, and with just with absolutely no reward with views at all. I remember three views, and they were al- it's almost funny. It was exactly in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end, and there was just like nothing in between, and just like there was like you know good forest scenery but really no no vistas like beautiful open views that I was hoping for which okay. you know people in the east like oh you don't need to, you don't need to open views to have fun hiking but yeah they they kind of add to it they're kind of nice yeah <laughs> now
1: you bring up an extra an, an interesting point um the the work to reward ratio for hiking mm-hmm. what is what is the appropriate ratio there I mean is, is there a, a golden ratio of of how much work and how much reward?
2: Well, I don't think there is because if I'm being honest, I would just prefer no work and all reward. So I don't think there's a good ratio, like a perfect ratio, but you know, obviously you want to, you want to earn it a little bit. And I'd say for any super beautiful thing, it's almost impossible for there to be no work. So the ratio always seems right. Like the Colorado trail or Pacific Crest trail, Continental Divide trail, anything really, it always seems right just because of how beautiful it is. The work seems justified.
1: Yeah, now a few episodes back Nik- Nikola Horvat uh, Tesla and I we got into a philosophical conversation about the y- you need to have the downs in order to have the ups. You mm-hmm. know, both you know, literally, I mean, you, you, if if you if you if you go down, you're going to have to go up again, right? But mm-hmm. but also to really appreciate the highs, you have to have the lows. I mean, if, if someone is walking in sunshine on flat ground, you know, all day long, They don't understand how good they have it, right? If they haven't gone through the hailstorm and bushwhacking and finally coming out on top and and the clouds parting and the sun shining on them, that is a much better moment than just finding yourself walking on flat ground in the sun all day long.
2: Yeah. I think 50 Cent said it best. June wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for rain. Joy wouldn't feel so good if it wasn't for pain, you know?
1: 50 Cent. You're quoting 50 Cent. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome.
2: Okay.
1: And so the, the three views you got uh, stuck in your head are the beginning, the middle, and the end?
2: Yeah, that's pretty much it. And the end was Springer Mountain. and it Which was, was it's a, cool, it's a cool end point, but... Yeah,
1: yeah, it's 300 miles. How long did it take you?
2: Uh, I think 12 days, I think. And I pretty much, like I was in decent shape starting out this year, but I, I wasn't training hardcore like I was before the calendar year Triple Crown. So I basically viewed... The Benton Mackay Trail and then the Pinhoti Trail, which I did after, kind of as a warm up for the actual what I view as the challenging hiking for the year, like the Oregon Desert Trail and the later trails. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, so if you if you had in your your uh, notes that the BMT was the Benton Mackay Trail and now the PT we've revealed is the Pinhoti Trail, you know, give yourself double points for that. Um, <laughs> tell us about the Pinhoti Trail. Where do you know the details on that? Where is it? How long is it?
2: So it starts in georgia and it ends in alabama only two states for this one and i want to say it's about 350 miles if i remember and i i loved it i loved it way more than the bent mckay trail i don't really know why like it had a couple more it had some more views but there were also a lot of road walks on it with some vicious dogs and it's hard to explain because it is so much lower in elevation that you don't. Like you're not as high on the Bet as on the Bet Benton- Mackay Trail or Appalachian Trail, so the views aren't from as high. But they just still seem beautiful And I don't know. When I got like down in that more southern part in Georgia or in Alabama, um, it was like summer in full swing. Like everything was green, all the leaves were out, so it was really pretty. Even though by the time I finished it was starting to get really hot and humid. So I was happy to get out of Alabama out of Alabama by um probably mid May, I think, or early May. It was starting to get pretty warm down there.
1: Now, in your hiking trails that are three hundred plus miles long, what is what is your resupply strategy? How do you how do you handle that?
2: Um, still pretty much the same as a long trail. Just go from town to town, and then don't really think about it too far ahead. And especially with trails that short, I don't even think I really plan at all because they're so short. I'm like, well, you know, what are the chances that in three hundred miles there's a, you know, I like a three hundred mile food carry it wouldn't be ideal, but it is possible. So. I don't know, I don't even really think about resupplies on those short trails very much just because they're so small. They seem like they should be easy. And it turned out, I think they were for the most part, at least from what I remember.
1: Again, I think, I think comparative analysis is important because I know, I know we have some people listening in who are thinking 300 miles. That's, that, that's a, that's a long ways, you know, that that's uh, from my, my six mile day hike that I, that I do. You know, if I'm thinking about going backpacking, 300 miles sounds like a long way, but you're a, a calendar year triple crowner. And so 300 miles, that's, that's next to nothing to you. It's
2: a few weeks. Yeah. A few weeks. yeah.
1: Well, tell us about the vicious dogs on the pin trail.
2: Yeah. It seems fitting that they're in the state of mostly in the state of Georgia. So, you know, big bulldog country down there. I uh, saw a lot of bulldog signs and I was out there, which also is more painful now that they won the championship again, but that's beside the point. Um, But yeah, I don't know. People just nobody has electric fences. Nobody trains their dogs to not run out on the road and bite people. Um, So they are they're crazy down there, and they're big. They're they're all angry. They seem to have I don't know some sort of a and if they are not big, they seem to have a Napoleon complex. So they get even angrier, and yeah, they'll chase you for a half mile at times if um, if they want to. And honestly, I didn't bring bear spray, but. If people are going to hike the Pinhoti Trail in the future, you might want to think about it just because the dogs are ridiculous. Um, I pretty much just use my trekking poles and would like stick them out or swing them at them if they were coming close. But they, can, they got pretty nasty. So I don't know. That's something to think about if you're going to do the trail or if you're fast enough where you could just run past them. That might be another bet, but I don't think I'm that fast, so I didn't try that.
1: Horsepower, you, you don't you don't have to be faster than the dog. You just need to be f- faster than your hiking partner. You need to bring a slower hiking partner with you and then you're insulated.
2: Yeah, that's the problem when you hike alone. Actually, Doc, you want to go hiking on the Pinhodie trail?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not with you, buddy. No way. <laughs> I you're just using me for dog fodder. <laughs> yeah, and that's that you bring up a point there also. Um, so you you prefer to hike solo.
2: Uh no, I definitely don't prefer it. In fact, I don't know. By the end of this year, it's like I did most of the hiking this year alone too. I did a couple trails with people, but you know, just lining up logistically to do stuff with other people is so tough. And they you know they have to be equally as crazy as you, as dumb as you want to do, want to be as miserable as you. Have to be an enjoyable company and like want to do the exact same trail, same miles, same pace as you. So it's really tough to you know wind things up with people. So most of the time I just did stuff alone. But the tr- the hikes I did with other people were certainly much more enjoyable than alone. Um, and by the end of this year, I actually was questioning if I even want to do another long hike alone, because I don't know, it's just so much more fun with with company around.
1: I'm writing down ideas as you're talking about, uh, additional questions for the hiking pool. I'm going I'm to change things up. I mean, one of the questions should be, you know, do you prefer to hike solo or with friends mm-hmm. or what is your ideal? What are the characteristics of your ideal hiking partner?
2: Mm, that's a good one uh number one to be a good sense of humor you know got to be able to joke about everything um laugh at everything make fun of everything um number two probably would just it be,
1: would it be highbrow humor or lowbrow humor
2: see i, I don't know I, I go on both ends of the spectrum so you gotta, you gotta have versatility i i like you know intellectual jokes but i also like fart jokes so all over the map you know you got to cover both ends
1: you are you are a true renaissance man horsepower
2: <laughs> and then i don't know number two is probably just like staying calm in the face of adversity so many things go wrong on a through like it's i've found it's so much more enjoyable when you can just laugh at how ridiculous and poor a situation is if you're stuck in a blizzard with no food rather than freak out it's just so much better to laugh at how bad things are than freak out and lose control um, yeah, so it's probably that, the two I- biggest for me
1: I think that's a great skill to have, not only in hiking, but in life is to be kind of even keeled, not to have highs that are too high and lows that are too low. You know, those wild swings can can really do you in and, and, and doing the people around you as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Fear is contagious for sure. Fear is contagious.
1: You know, I'm always on the lookout for a great episode title. That might be it. Fear <laughs> is contagious with horsepower. Right, I'm writing that down don't mind me continue talking so what else on the What else on the pinoti besides vicious uh, Finote,
2: dogs? um also at near the southern terminus um absolute amazing trail angels trail angels that run a hostel down there um nathan and kim i want to say their names are um i hope that's right because they were so great to me such great people uh, um they'll help you out if you're starting at the southern point or ending there or even probably most places on the trail, just such great people. Um, so yeah. And I don't know, just, just a great trail overall. So, so much better than the BMT. I can't, I can't explain why maybe that's what makes it so great.
1: Yeah. I think again, by comparison, right. You, you do the BMT and anything else, uh, seems to be just
2: awesome. Maybe. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Could be, could be. Now you go from those two East coast trails. Now you you, you fly across the country. I, I assume you flew. Did you drive or fly?
2: Oh, no, I flew. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you flew. You flew across the country and your next trail this year was the Oregon Desert Trail, which for a lot of people, me included, when I first heard that there was a desert in Oregon, I was just flabbergasted. What are you talking about? Well, Oregon, that doesn't have a desert. I mean, Oregon is a wet, lush, green state, mm-hmm. but uh, there, there's a desert there.
2: Yeah, that's what I thought, too. And so I, I don't even I don't even remember when I found out about the Oregon Desert Trail but same as you, I was, I was shocked. I, I didn't really know that was there, but after doing, after being in Southeastern Oregon, yeah, it's definitely there. It's definitely desert and it's definitely rugged, brutal and evil. Like, Oh, it is, it is tough. Evil. It's tough out there.
1: <laughs> how, how long is the trail?
2: 750 miles. Oh, but wow. I mean, the actual miles you walk are going to be so much different because I think around somewhere between forty and fifty percent of the trail is cross country, so you're you know making your own route over overland a lot of times. So you can walk a lot more or a lot less, probably just depending on your route.
1: Okay, and in that respect, it's reminiscent of parts of the CDT and some of some of the Hayduke or all of the all of the Hayduke. I'd say a lot of uh, route finding and and kind of guessing where you're going.
2: Yeah, I'd say it's actually extre- extremely similar to the Hayduke. In, like, just difficulty and route finding, um, probably a little bit easier, um, than the Hayduke just because it's so flat and open, like, it's always easy to tell where you're going because it's so wide open. Um, but I want there's not really cross country on the CDT, not like this anyway, not like the ODT. On the CDT, you might just occasionally lose the trail, like, it might be a poorly taken care of or faint, but on the ODT, a lot of the times, there's just no trail, you're just walking across desert, you got to find the way.
1: And so how long would the water carries be?
2: Uh, long. I, I want to say I think 30 miles was about the average. I think if I remember right, there was a 44 or a 46 mile water carry. And, you know, like most deserts, the water's not good. It was pretty crappy, which is also surprising because it was a historically wet spring in uh, Oregon and southeastern Oregon, especially so the crazy thing about this trail was, you know, for a desert trail, you know, it's going to be dry. It's going to be a desert. It's going to be hot. I got rained or snowed on over half my days on this trail, which is pretty crazy. Um, But still the water carries were so tough and so long. It was, it was a shocking experience and super challenging.
1: Now with, with the first two trails, the BMT and the PT just being 300 miles or so, a little bit longer and those being so short, you know, you said you didn't do a whole lot of planning for that. You figured there'd be a town somewhere where you could resupply. Now with this the slightly longer trail of, of 700 miles and it, it being in a desert, I mean, what kind of planning and logistics did you have to take into account?
2: Yeah, this this Oregon Desert Trail definitely took a lot more work and I wanted to make sure I was going to be prepared for it. Um, But first off, I want to thank the Oregon, uh-oh, I better remember the name now. Whoever runs that trail, um, sorry, I forget the name, but they do such a great job. There is so much information out uh, Oregon, out there about it.
1: Oregon Trail Association?
2: Something like that, or something Oregon like, we'll Desert Association, okay. something yeah. like that. But they do such a great job. They put out more information than you could possibly need on that trail, like a step-by-step about how to do the cross-country routes, where the water should be, like instructions on how to find the water. If it's hidden, and I don't know, just so much other stuff that is so helpful for that uh, for that difficult of a trail. They make it as easy as it possibly could be, which is still pretty hard. Um, so I want to thank them for putting out all that information to the public for free, which is fantastic. Um, but uh, for preparation, it did take quite a bit. And especially in southeastern Oregon, these towns, a lot of these towns at least, were so small, there's no real store. So I did have to send a couple of food boxes ahead of time just because... You know, it would be 200 miles between a town. And then when you get to that town, there's only a post office. So if you were just to do no food boxes, only stores, there might've been like 400 or something mile food carries, which would be a little tough. Um, Other than that, mostly just kind of studying the sections of the trail because it varies so much. Like in the Western part, it's barren desert. And then you go up in the high mountains for a little bit. And then it's kind of back to barren desert. And then you're in canyons for a while. And then you're back up in high mountains that I was actually getting fresh snow on when I was up there, like a fresh six to eight inches, which was crazy. And then you go back down in the Oahu, uh Canyon, which is basically like a hidden Grand Canyon in Oregon that nobody knows about. And it's just so diverse and such so like a beautiful landscape in southeastern Oregon that I didn't expect. But mostly just studying those different parts, too, because it varies so much. And you kind of need you might possibly need different gear at different parts.
1: Okay. And did you take this trail on solo as well?
2: I did, which it would definitely be beneficial to have two people on something like that with requires that much thinking, that much route finding, that much uh, just like that much of a challenge. It would definitely be beneficial to do that one with a partner.
1: And it was it is it a heavily populated trail? I mean, you see a lot of the people out there or is it it pretty pretty sparse?
2: It's pretty sparse. I think there were four or five through hikers this year this spring on it at least. Um, but it was funny two of them actually used to date each other, which was kind of funny. It, like a whole, a whole country of trails. And at these two people that used to date each other, find themselves on one of the most popular ones in the whole country.
1: That is funny. That's funny. Now, did you ever find yourself on the ODT saying, what the heck am I doing out here? Or I am completely lost or holy smokes. What, what is happening?
2: there was a lot of times where I was questioning what I was doing, why I was doing this. This was so hard. This was stupid. Why, why am I here? I should be doing something easier. Why am I not just doing the PCT again? That would be so much more fun. Um, but the biggest one, the biggest, like what am I doing is probably on the second last day. Uh, it was like a 20, only like a 28 mile water carry. So actually not too bad, but it was starting to really heat up. Um, this was probably, early June, starting to be early June. So it's starting to get really hot. It was probably around 98 degrees, I think in the desert. And I don't remember how much water I brought from the last source, but it wasn't enough. Basically I ran out of water around four o'clock. And the next water source was still like, I want to say 12 miles away. And I was just so dehydrated that by like nine o'clock, I got to this next listed water source that was on the map, but it was listed as always dry. Like there's never going to be water there. But I at least wanted to go investigate because I was so dehydrated, I actually thought I might run into problems soon. So I went to go check it out. It was an old well, um, like an old cattle tank. And as I was walking up to it, um, you know, ground looks totally normal, you know, all just dirt. I take I take a couple steps to get close to it. And when I get like two steps away. I just sink down up to my knees in like this brown black liquefied old cow crap that just like hardened all around the water tank and it's just covering me up to my knees now and I'm also kind of sinking in it so I'm a little bit worried I might drown you know in this cow in this liquid cow crap that's around this cattle tank so I have to like struggle to get out of there kind of like quicksand Um, and then I get out of there and you know my whole lower body is covered in cow crap and it smells horrible and I'm still dehydrated and kind of you know, starting to get a little delirious. So I don't really have much, any options though. Cause I'm still out of water. I'm still in the middle of nowhere and there's nobody else around obviously. So then I hiked, I don't know, another I think It was six miles to the next water source or something like that, which that one was listed as reliable and like a nice flowing, um, like ranch, like a rancher has flowing water there out of a, a spigot. So I was excited for that, but it was still six miles away, which seems so far. And then after that, after a little bit, it got dark and I started to hallucinate, like every single step I took, I felt like I was stepping into like a crevice and I thought I was going to fall down into a Canyon. But after a, a little bit, I had to tell myself like, that's not real. Ignore that. Just keep walking. And I started seeing like, like cows around, even though I know they weren't actually there because they were like floating and kind of moving around, but just like weird hallucinations like that until I finally made it to this water source and i was started to like you know finally chug water make myself feel good again because i felt like i was about ready to pass out because i was so dehydrated um but then i probably stayed there for an hour just like trying to wash this cow crap off my legs chugging water non-stop meanwhile there's at least no exaggeration at least 150 200 cows just circled around me because they're so defensive of their water source that i'm taking they're just moving non-stop yelling at me they didn't, they didn't want to fight, but they just wanted to stare at me and make me feel uncomfortable, which they did. But I probably spent like a good hour there just chugging and cleaning up before I had to walk. I think it was another three miles because when I started to walk away, the cows still started following me and they were moving so loud, it would have been impossible to set up camp and go to sleep because they were so annoying. So I had to do like another three miles before I finally crossed a cattle guard where they couldn't follow me. And then I could get, I could get out of earshot. So I wouldn't hear them anymore. That was just a rough night. Um, I was really questioning what I was doing out there. If it wasn't the second last night, I might have thought about quitting.
1: Horsepower, that is quite a story. I I cannot imagine a worse way to die than to uh, slowly sink into liquefied cow crap quicksand until it, it passes your nose. I mean, that's uh, that, that's be a very moment right there.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's going to be on the next uh, season of 1000 Ways to Die. So keep your eyes peeled. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, so the seven hundred miles. How, how long did it take you to to finish the, the Oregon Desert Trail?
2: I think about a month, maybe a couple more days, but roughly a month.
1: Okay, and you you finish that experience, and you you think to yourself, "I'm not done yet. What else can I do out there?" And you come up with the BFT, which uh, you know in some in some, even... in some people's uh, mind, I'm sure is like the Big Effing Trail.
2: Yeah, that's that's oh, pretty much goodness. what it came to be referred to as. Um, or or the brutal effing trail, nice. but uh yeah, actually I didn't even really come up with it. So, but that I, I finished the Oregon Desert Trail earlier than I had expected, and I mean my big plan for the year was to do the Pacific Northwest Trail, which you have to start roughly around July first, maybe a little earlier, maybe a little later on the given year. But basically, I had to kill some a couple of weeks before I could start that because it was still too early up that far north. So I was looking at different things to do, and I decided I was going to do the Oregon Coast Trail. You know, I was ready in Oregon, pretty close. That was roughly the same time frame; it worked out nicely. So uh, I got a bus from the end of the Oregon Desert Trail down to a buddy of mine. Um, shout out Charlie in Ashland, Oregon, so southwestern Oregon. And when I got there, I got my like, replacement gear I was going to use. I got my guidebook for the Oregon Coast Trail. I was all ready to go. And then I opened up the guidebook and like in the first 10 pages of the guidebook, it says basically do not hike this trail northbound. Otherwise you will be walking into a 20 mile per hour wind every day, the whole trail. And I was in Southwestern Oregon. So that was obviously my plan. So I was like, okay, I could either hike this trail and be miserable walking into wind every day in my face, or I could catch a bus up to uh, Northwestern Oregon and start from there and go southbound like you're pretty much supposed to. But I was texting uh, one of my friends, Constantine, I don't even know what we were talking about, but he mentioned that he was starting the Bigfoot Trail in a couple of days, and I had heard about it. I knew like roughly where it was, but that's pretty much all I knew about it. And he was kind of asked me like, "Hey, if you want to tag along, you're free to come." And I'm like, "Well, I don't really want to do the Oregon Coast Trail." And I now that I kind of screwed this up, and I don't really want to do it alone. I'd much rather do you know something with somebody else. So I uh, met him down a couple of days later in uh, Northern California, and we started that, which. He told me to research it. I made it be did like five minutes of research. I was like, "Eh, whatever, you know, it's Northern California. It'll be trees. It'll be easy. Like the PCT was up there, you know, it'll be chill. That's fine. It was a 350, I think, or 360 miles, whatever of brutal, hardcore, beautiful, beyond scenic, stunning, all inspiring, but more so horrifying and tough trail. Like it was, it was so beautiful. And like, actually this might be the pinnacle of so much work and so much reward, but I'm not even sure it's right because the work was incredible just because it's not so much that the trail was difficult in by itself, even though it was, there were a couple, um, different parts of the trail where it was like, um, climbing for a couple miles at a time at a grade of about between 1400 and 1600 feet per mile which is something you won't even really see on like the hiking in the Northeast, like New Hampshire, that people complain about. So the grades were insane sometimes, but much more so than the grades, it was the lack of trail maintenance. I don't think the trail had been touched since like a few years earlier. I don't know if it was, some people were saying it was with, um you know, California has tighter restrictions with COVID going on. So they couldn't get crews out there to work for a few years, but um, it was just in really rough shape uh, with so much, down trees from the crazy wildfires that have been going on there the last few years. And it just needed so much more work to actually clean it up to make it hikeable that at times it was tough to enjoy because you couldn't walk more than two feet without climbing over a down tree bigger than, you know, most vehicles were uh, oh, under that's it. That's
1: miserable. That's miserable. So, yeah.
2: And Oh, also apart, apart from the down trees, the fun part about the wildfires um, taking over was that like, there would be so much undergrowth in the forest. You couldn't ever see anything like where you were walking and you would just hear rattlesnakes like nonstop all day. So that was terrifying too. All right. Now, Constantine,
1: your buddy, he was, is he the same Constantine that was on uh, the podcast? He is. Yeah. 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 How's he doing?
2: <laughs> He's doing great. He's doing the uh, Te Aurora or however you pronounce that. Okay. In oh, New Zealand. Yeah. In right New now. Zealand.
1: yeah nice. Yep. All right. Tell him to look in and, and see if he can connect with tip tap.
2: Oh, we'll do. Yeah.
1: Um, so the big question, you, you, you're you hiking the, the Bigfoot Trail. Did you, any, any Squatch sightings?
2: Unfortunately, none at all. The only thing remotely close, which this is a total accident, but so fantastic is that at the terminus, um, it ends on the ocean. Um, at the terminus, there's like a sign, you know, for this lighthouse, wherever, where it ends. And some random person in their backyard, right beside the terminus, has a like a cutout of Bigfoot, and there's no chance they know about the trail. It just has to be totally random, which is pretty great.
1: Did you go down there and take a picture with it?
2: <laughs> I didn't want to trespass, but so I didn't. I didn't. But um, should, probably should have.
1: Uh you're a good man, horsepower. So what? <laughs> uh, what? What made? I mean, it was terribly difficult. It was. It was a lot of down trees, a lot of overgrowth uh rattlesnakes any other fun stuff uh, you encountered out there
2: oh yeah um i don't know if it was poison oak or what but we were walking through like so much brush all the time I i don't know what started it but i got like a a boil or something on my arm that got so big um it was disgusting i was actually really worried about it thinking about going to the doctor but then while we were climbing over a tree one day i popped it and it continued to like just be gross and leak for the next few days it was pretty disturbing Um, so that was another fun thing. And then my whole legs, oh, in Constantine's legs, it was both of us were covered in poison Oak or whatever. I don't know, something the whole time we were on trail, we were basically itching our legs nonstop. And then he texted me about a month after and finally said his legs stopped itching and, and mine stopped around the same time too. So it took about a month after the trail because it was so ridiculous.
1: Yeah. If you run into poison Oak and you don't know it, uh, it, it, it hangs with you for, for weeks, for months, possibly, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I ran into the same thing in Ojai in California. I was just on a day hike with, with my family and we had to do a little bushwhacking and Oh man, it messed me up for weeks. It, yeah. It's just, these, these welts and these lines on your legs. And all you want to do is, is just scratch, scratch the skin off.
2: And you can't That's stop because right. it feels so good.
1: That's right. That's right. <laughs> forget about sleeping. I mean, yeah, <laughs> next to impossible. All right. Hey, you want to, you want to leave us with a teaser, what we can look forward to when we talk about the Hey Duke, just uh, maybe something a little, a little, little spicy detail from the Hey Duke.
2: Ooh, a little teaser. Oh gosh. I don't know. It's so much like, you know, I was listening back to, I think ginger balls episode one time and he was talking about, it. I was like, how hard could it actually be? You know, type four fun. Like, is it even possible something is that hard? Um, but it is. And I don't know. I mean, this isn't even one of the worst parts of the trail, but like there was a couple of times we had to like swim and not really swim, but just go through like this yellow kind of oranges pool, pool of water where you can't, you can't see the bottom. You don't know how deep it is um down in a deep Canyon. And it's just absolutely freezing cold. It's like 6 PM. So it's about dark and it's so cold. You get in there for a couple of seconds. And you're like body instantly goes into shock because you you're not used to it. You don't know what to do. And then the bottom is just like, Thick, thick mud. Um, It's not really quicksand because you do run into quicksand quite a bit on the trail. But this wasn't quicksand. It's just thick mud that wants to keep your shoes down there. So it's tough to move in. And then, you know, you have to make your way across this pool of water and then somehow climb out on the other side on this slick rock that's super, super like smooth, impossible to get a grip anywhere on. And just keep lunging and hoisting yourself up until you can finally get out of this ice, ice bath of water. And that isn't even probably in the top 20 of rough things on the Hayduke.
1: duke okay well we'll stick a pin in that right there we'll leave it right there and uh, look forward to our next conversation uh where we hear all the details get up get get the full the full t on the Hayduke trail all right hey uh horsepower you know where we are
2: uh pro tip uh review or pro tip insight pro tip recommendation pro tip tip something like that
1: you got the, the first two, the first two words right there.
2: The pro tip inside of the week.
1: That's right. So pro go. tip inside of the week. We've heard lots of trail wisdom from you already, but what, uh, what do you have for us now? What can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better?
2: Hmm. Probably should have been thinking about this throughout. Um, but I'll just go back to an oldie, but a goodie. Um, this has probably been said before. I don't know if it's common sense, but once I heard about it, it just seems so easy now. Um, it's probably, this probably works better for day hikes, but I did use it, uh, in winter on the Appalachian trail. So this is only like a winter thing. If you're hiking in snow all day or ice, um, this definitely helps a ton. If it's raining, probably not so much, but if you're walking in snow and you don't want your feet to get wet, you can uh, just throw like Walmart bags or plastic bags of some sort in between, like on the outer layer of your socks. So between your sock and shoe, and it'll keep your, your feet dry for at least a few hours. Eventually the bag probably will rip and you'll get wet feet, but it works for a while and it could possibly work all day if you walk gentle, but I usually ripped mine after a few hours.
1: Yeah. And you can either use them before or after your hike to put your sandwich in. So
2: yeah, you know, it saves weight too. There you go.
1: There you go. We're always <laughs> looking for, for multi-purpose tools out there. So that's, yeah, that's
2: absolutely. fantastic.
1: All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Brandon. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Horsepower, where can our listeners keep up with you on social media and how can they find updates on your latest adventures?
2: Sure. So I pretty much only use Instagram. So you can look up stuff there. If I do anything new, you'll see it there. And that's just at natural horsepower. And that's pretty much it.
1: Okay. Is natural part of your your trail name or you, you just, you threw that in there somehow?
2: no horsepower, just plain horsepower was taken by some like monster truck page. So I threw natural in there for, you know, natural scenery outdoors and I like natural light. So, you know, keep things simple.
1: Okay. (laughs) Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. If you have any comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmirror at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Brandon, you're familiar with this one too. This is uh, our Adventure Media Recommendation, where you get to share uh, your suggestion for, you know, a book, a movie, documentary, something to help keep our listeners connected to the outside. And you can't go with the same one you used last time.
2: Hmm. Well, of course, when my book comes out in a few months, yeah, you're all legally obligated to buy that and check that out. So, um, but other than that, um. I don't know. Uh, lately I've been doing too much like outdoorsy reading or like stuff because I'm afraid if I get back into it, you know, I'll want to leave again like as soon as possible. Uh, You've been stuck so on Better just... Call Saul. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'll just recommend a good like you know, it's not a nature movie, but it's a movie where the like, the scenery is just beautiful the whole time. It really shows off the beauty of like the kind of divide area, uh, in uh, north like north of Montana, southern Canada. And that's uh, the new Predator movie called Prey. It's uh, just a beautiful movie the whole time.
1: Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, definitely not a, a nature-focused <laughs> movie, but uh, a lot of natural elements in it.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, and a very, very good grizzly bear scene. So if you wanna want to check that out too, that's there.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? Other than the three trails that we have left to discuss in your next episode, what else did we miss tonight?
2: Hmm. Probably why the Bigfoot Trail is so great. I don't think I really addressed that. I think I mostly just complained about it. Um, But actually, I did love it, especially more after the fact. It was definitely more type 2 fun um, to look back on now. But the beauty on it was truly like indescribable. When I did the PCT, I was pretty... um, I don't know. I didn't like Northern California very much. I thought it was pretty boring. You know, there wasn't a ton of views, especially after just coming through the Sierra. But the Bigfoot Trail totally changed my mind on Northern California. It showed just stunning views from the high peaks of every um, wilderness area around there. Uh, The Belly, I think that's called. Um, The Russian Peaks, uh, Trinity Alps, uh, the one that starts with an S that I can't pronounce. Just so many different wilderness areas that showed off the the terrific beauty of them that it's hard to it's hard to even explain now um and i think one of the reasons that they might have been so beautiful is just because they're so hard to get to because the trails were so difficult that it's hard for people to get up there and it's just so stunning the whole time but you definitely earn it you definitely work for it but if you want a challenge that really shows off the beauty of northern california the bigfoot trail was great
1: okay the bigfoot trail might have the appropriate work to to reward
2: ratio It might, because it's definitely a lot of work, but also a lot, a lot of reward.
1: Okay. By the next time we talk, uh, Brandon, I want you to have the mathematical formula worked out for the, the golden ratio of work to reward.
2: All right. I'll get my math guy on that.
1: Okay, good. (laughs) All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the studio here. Any shout outs to friends and family?
2: Um, shout out Mac, uh, my hiking partner, shout out Constantine, my other hiking Parker partner. And shout out Fancy Feast, who did the Hayduke, who suffered through the Hayduke with me this year. Um, Real tough, real fun. Shout out to all of them.
1: You guys are trauma bonded. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember, the trail is the trail. doesn't care if you want to go downhill. doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you had to pull yourself out of liquefied cow crap quicksand. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. (laughs)